Well, good morning, and I'm glad you're here. But before us today is a volatile text of Scripture, one of the most debated and fought about and and, uh, maligned and ridiculed passages of Scripture there is. We're in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5 and verse 22. We've been looking, uh, as we've been going through Ephesians since January, looking at relationships from this marvelous book. And last week we started looking at marriage. And today we're here in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. I, a number of years ago, saw a cartoon. There was, it was looking at a church and the pulpit had been replaced by a, a steel bunker. You know, one of those those things that soldiers hide behind with a little slit in the front for the gun to poke out. But all you could see was two eyeballs behind that bunker and the words of the pastor saying, Today the text of my sermon is Ephesians 5.23. Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) That's where we are today. And uh, we're venturing into turf where many fear to tread and... uh, but we're we're continuing on, whether it's foolhardiness or whatever, we're jumping right in. The reality is, if the Bible is true, and we believe it is, then we must not ignore any of it, and we must not ignore what is here. If this is God's Word, then we need to be careful to shape our beliefs and shape our lives according to... The Word of God, not according to the cultural norms, not a cult, not according to our personal experiences or our personal history, not according to our preferences or other people's opinions, but by what God has said. As the Creator, you know, we may not like what He says, we may not agree with what He says, we may not understand what He says. But we're foolish if we ignore it or dismiss it or disobey it. Just like um, a few years ago, I got a new car for my mom and dad. Interesting little thing in the glove box. I've rarely had new cars in my life, but but in the glove box there's this thing called an owner's manual. Who knew? Uh, You can ignore those things to your peril, or at least to the peril of your car. It'll tell you how often to change the oil and what kind of oil to use, what kind of fuel to put in it. And you can just say, you know, this fuel is cheaper. That I don't like changing, having the oil changed. It costs money and takes time and you can ignore it. And things go well for a while till one day when it's 100 degrees outside and you're going down Interstate 70 and the engine blows apart. So it is with our lives. We can ignore the manufacturer. We can ignore his instructions, but eventually the wheels fall off. And as we see in our culture, we watch marriages blow apart. It is typically because we have ignored the instructions from the manufacturer. So this morning as we come to this text, I want you to stick with me and listen. If you disagree with me, you, you're not on the same page as I look at this, and you think, oh, I don't buy that, I don't believe it, bear with me. Stick through the whole thing. I, I believe by the time we're done, we're going to step on everybody's toes pretty well. And uh, I promise to do my best as we go through to clearly lay out everything the passage says here to 
both husbands and to wives, so that we clearly understand it. And so that by the end of the time, or the question before us is not, what does the Scripture say? And it's not, what is your opinion or my opinion? But rather the question is, what does the Bible say? I know it, or here's what it says. And the question is, will I follow it or not? Last week, we went back over some, some of the ground we had covered in the weeks before. Chapters 4-1 through the verse right before us here, verse 21 of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lays out some very practical instructions about what relationships should look like. How you and I are to live with one another as believers in Jesus Christ. And we, we had talked about if those things are true for all relationships in general, they are, should be especially true in our marriage relationship. And so last week what we did was go back through chapter 4 and, and chapter 5 up till this point and relook at all of that Scripture through the lens of marriage and the marriage relationship. And what we saw, what emerged off the pages was, was 20 essentials, 20 keys, 20 golden nuggets, if you would, of advice, of instruction for building a good marriage relationship. We took that at the request of some of you and took our, those 20 things and put them on a card. And those are available when you head out today. Maybe one of our ushers will stand at the back and hand those out. But if you want one, take it home just to help you uh, look at areas, hey, where you need work. That is, take one home if you promise to do something for me. Promise that you won't take it and use it as a scorecard for your husband or wife. Take it personally to use for you to say before the Lord, here are things I need to work on. God, create this heart in me. Change these things. i let you look at that. But as Paul turns the attention here, the last, the last one of that list, the last of those 20 things is verse 21 where it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that, that little phrase there really is the summary of everything that has preceded it. It's kind of a good wrap-up statement of, of everything that is there. It's also a transition leading us into this section where Paul specifically begins to address the marital relationship and it summarizes as well the teaching there. The core of it all, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But now as Paul begins to talk about marriage specifically, he keeps it simple. And I like that. While we had 20 things we looked at last week, today we're looking at just one thing. If you're a wife, there's just one thing here. If you're a husband, there's just one thing here. One command for the wives, one command for the husbands. Keeps it simple. So here we are. Verse 22, wives, we start with you. Sorry about that, but we're going to get it done, get it out of the way and move on to your husband. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Just one thing, wives, 
And the instruction to you is submit to your husbands. I'm sorry I had to say that. I know that's not what you wanted to come to church and hear today. Not what probably any of you really want to hear. And big reason that it's a big, this is a big controversy and a big no-no to say in our society at large is because most folks are afraid that what submission means or what it looks like is this. The caveman dragging his woman around. Or, you know, woman, know your place. Or it's, you know, women being caged up is the behind the guy's tractor or uh you know women do all the work while the guy takes it easy see much of the opposition much of the ridicule of this text much of the aversion to this text is understandable because these words have been used or misused I should say over the years to justify ungodly and wicked and perverse treatment of women So, women, the question comes, why should you submit? The answer is very clear. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because or for the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. The husband is to be the head of the home. We're going to talk about that just a little more in a moment. The question is, then what does submission mean? And the answer to that question is pretty straightforward. He makes it pretty clear. He says, Jesus is the head of the church. And as the church submits to Jesus in everything, so wives, you are to submit to your husbands in everything. So what does it mean to submit? Well, submit. It means to defer to. It means to follow their lead, to yield to your husband. It doesn't mean that you have no voice. It doesn't mean you don't have opinions or can't have input. It just means that when push comes to shove, wives are to yield to submit to their husband's lead. That's what the Scripture says. A quick, couple of quick observations about that. The first is this. It does not mean that women are inferior to men. That is not what this teaches at all. If you doubt that, go back to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3. And what you'll read there is it describes everything about our identity in Christ, our, our salvation in Christ, our inheritance in Christ, the power we have as believers, our destiny as believers in Christ. There is no distinction between men and women. It is all the same. We are all these things. For that same reason, the, the Apostle Peter in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he writes and speaks to husbands and reminds us as husbands that our wives are worthy of honor as co-heirs with us in the grace of life. That is why Paul wrote to the Galatians and he says that in Christ there is neither Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. Women are not inferior to men. The Scripture does not teach that. At the same time, there is this instruction to wives, submit to your husbands. A couple of things to note about that. It also, if you'll notice, that submission then, women is limited to your own husband. It says, wives, submit to your own husband. It doesn't say, submit to all men. 
In other words, the submission is not because of gender per se, but it's because of the relationship of husband and wife. I'd also note that this command is given to the wives, not to the husbands. It says, wives, submit to the husband, to your husbands. It is, it is your choice, your, your decision to submit yourself to your husband. It nowhere says here or anywhere in the New Testament that I can find where it says, men, submit your wives. Men, subjugate your wives. It says, women, submit yourself to your husband. Lastly, the last observation I'd have for you ladies is that this command is not conditional. I spent time, I got a magnifying glass, I looked to try to find between the lines and looked for the small print, I looked for the escape clauses, the the exceptions, and I couldn't find any. It doesn't say that uh, you should submit to your husband unless he is foolish. You should admit to your husband unless he's boring or obnoxious. It doesn't even say he has to be right. <laughs> and it doesn't even say that he must be a believer. Matter of fact, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and look, it especially, it, it, it specifically includes an unbelieving husband. That said, I do believe, women, that it is entirely appropriate Scripturally, for a woman to protect herself and her children from abuse and harm. And the Scripture is very clear in allowing anyone under any authority to to obey God. Matter of fact, uh, encouraging us to obey God, who is the higher authority, instead of a lower authority, in this case the husband, when those two are in contradiction, in disagreement. That's the commands to wives. Submit to your husbands. You're done. Relax. Guys, he goes on to us. Husbands, the command is love your wives. Let's read it. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, again, just one instruction for you. Love your wives. I notice it takes two times the explanation for our one command as it did for the women, probably because we're harder headed. But he gives us in that two phrases that help us understand what this love is, what love looks like. The first phrase that he uses about what love looks like to help us understand what does it mean to love our wives, he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What is, how does Christ's love demonstrated? He demonstrated His love to the extent that He gave Himself and so what we understand is that, that love is self-sacrificing. 
Jesus gave Himself up for us. He gave His life and we are to give up our lives for our wife. For most of us, we won't be called to do that in one heroic thing. You know, one heroic act of of throwing ourselves on the railroad track, pushing the car, you know, jumping in front of the car ourselves or whatever, take the bullet for our wife. Most of us won't have that experience. And that's kind of a good thing. On the other hand, some of you probably would realize that would actually might be easier. What He calls us to do is to give up our life every day and a hundred times a day in little ways where we put our life behind theirs. Their interests ahead of ours. That's what He's calling us to do. To sacrifice us for them. We're called to be a servant. Jesus asked that for all of us. In Mark chapter 10, you know the passage, Jesus was there and He uh, talking to the disciples and He said, you know, those who are rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. You know how it is when you look out there. Look at, the, look out at the, those who are not believers and look at how the, the political leaders are. Look at how the arrogance and the, the way they look down at people and lord authority over folks. That's the way of the world, but it shouldn't be so with you. He goes on, but not so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The Scriptures call for us husbands to be the head in our homes and the head of our wife. But leadership from the Bible here is that of a servant, not of a lord, not of a king, but a servant. What, is, what was the aim of Jesus' leadership towards the church? We're to love like Christ loved the church. His aim for the church was here. It says to cleanse her to, that He might present her in splendor without spot or with wrinkle or any such thing. So what is our aim, husbands, for our wives? Our aim should be to make them beautiful, to help them shine, to help them to grow, to help them to flourish. In other words, a husband, a godly husband is a leader in a home who loves his wife, is not looking to push her down, but rather to lift her up, to exalt her. That's the role of a husband. Jesus gave Himself for our good, so we give ourselves for our wives. The second picture He gives to help us understand what looks like, what love looks like, is He says that we are to, in the same way, verse 28, we are to love our wives as our own bodies. Men, I, I, I don't know any guys who, have, who hate their own body. Now, a lot of us look in the mirror and we would rather see something different. You know, we'd rather see something a little taller, something with a few less pounds. But we don't really desire that enough where we actually, you know, go on a diet or work out. But what we do, because we love our bodies, even though we may not like everything about it, but what we do is because we love our bodies, we pamper it. We don't pamper it like women do with, you know, perfumes and lotions and, and uh, little you know, little frilly things. We pamper our bodies with guy stuff. Pizza. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we, we uh, lazy boy recliners. You know, <laughs> that's guy pampering. We we like that stuff. Football on the TV. That's pampering ourselves. 
we do that because we like ourselves. We like our bodies. And he says, just like you like your own body and you love your own body and because you love your own body, you take care of it. So it should be with our wives. We should love our wives as ourselves. That doesn't mean that we just make our wives eat pizza and watch football. What it means is that we hold nothing back from our wives that is good for them. And that would mean if it comes down to a choice between a bass boat and what's good for our wives, the bass boat goes bye-bye. And we get what's good for our wives. That's what love is. Loving like Christ loved the church and loving like we love our own bodies. It's interesting as he goes on with this concept that in the next verses, and we'll look at that next week down in verse uh, in verse 31, he'll, he'll go back to the book of Genesis and he'll look at the, the very first description of what marriage is as he, as he goes back and he quotes from Genesis. And what we see there is we see that marriage is a joining together of two people into one flesh. And so Paul makes the point here that, you see, a husband should love his wife as his own body. And here's the great logic and the great wisdom behind this, you see, because if you don't love your wife, you're foolish. Because loving your wife is ultimately good for you because if you are married and the two become one flesh, your wife is you. It is beneficial for us to love our wives because we are one. So love your wife like you love yourself. Don't hold back anything that is good. Again, a couple of quick observations. He, he points out here, as I noticed, that, and as we said, that uh, our wives are part of us. But he also says that we are members of His body, verse 30. And as I thought about that, that, What that means is that if we are part of His body as believers in Christ, and so our wives are part of the body of Christ, they are part of Christ, that when we are unloving towards our wives, we are unloving towards Christ's body. That means we are unloving towards Christ. I'd say that's not only just wrong, it's kind of dangerous, just saying. Again, Guys, one more observation as I go through here and I look for conditions, exceptions, escape clauses. I don't find any. We are to love our wives regardless, even if they do not submit to us, even if they spend too much money, even if they sleep too much, even if they talk too much, regardless of whether they meet your needs or not, love your wife as Christ loved the church and as you love your own body. In other words, put her first. Now, that's the command. Wives submit. Husbands love. And as I thought about that this week, I I asked this question. I thought, why these two commands? I wondered if, if you sat down with a pencil wives, and you thought, what should my husband do as a husband? I bet you could have a nice long list. It wouldn't be just one thing. They might be, you know, a really long list. 
Husbands, if you sat down and said, what should my wife be? Our list wouldn't be as long because we don't tend to think as much. But we'd have a list. It'd be at least more than one thing. There'd be two or three or four things. And I wondered, why would Paul write just one command? Wives, submit. One command for husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Why those two? Out of everything that could be written there. And I think to find the answer to that question, we have to go back, way back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. Now, we're going to go to Genesis next week, and we're, as Paul moves there in the next verses, and he goes to, uh, to the, an explanation for marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We're going to talk about that one next week. But we're going to go back even before that right now, back to Genesis chapter 1, where God says, in that big picture of creation, Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let us create man in our image. And it says, male and female, He created them. In the image of God, He created them. He created male and female, both in the image of God, And goes on in the next verse to make them co-regents, co-rulers over all of creation. Equal before God in His image as rulers over creation and yet distinct as male and female. That's Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 is where... It's going back and revisiting creation, but not the big picture, but zeroing in. And the real focus of Genesis chapter 2 is bringing us to the creation of man and some more details as he leads up to, and the big climax of that chapter is the creation of marriage. But you go in Genesis chapter 2, and in verse 18, God says this. He says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then a few verses later, God creates woman. You know the story. God puts Adam to sleep. And and so you don't see it in Genesis 1, but in Genesis 2, Adam was created first. And there was a period of time before Eve is created. And God says, It's not good for the man to be alone. God knew that. Adam didn't know that yet, but God does. And God has a little period there, and we don't have time to get into that, where Adam names the animals and stuff, and God is creating the anticipation and the, and the need, creating the need in Adam, to where Adam says, I need a Mrs. Adam. <laughs> and then God takes Adam, puts him to sleep, and removes a rib, and from that rib fashions a woman. Then it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Why? Because God has a purpose. And let me explain. Because I think we find here in verse 18, we see what God is intending for this marriage relationship to be. We see that the distinction, back in Genesis 1 when it says He created a male and female, we see here that the distinction between the two, between male and female, is about more than just procreating. It's about more than just God needed two sexes to have babies. He could have done it where you don't need two sexes, where you just have babies. 
But He chose to create male and female, but it was more than just to have babies. Matter of fact, it's right here where He says it's not good for man to be alone. And He says, I will make a helper. And that word helper there in the original means one who assists, one who helps. I will make a helper who is fit, that word says. Or that word could in your New International, if you have that, it's the word suitable. It's a word that you would use in geometry where you talk about complementary. Not mean, oh, you look nice today. Not that type of complementary. But in geometry, complementary angles where the two angles complete. You see, this angle and this angle complete and make a straight line. And that's what the point is here. That, that He has created a helper, one who helps, one who assists, Adam, who completes Adam. And so the point is that the man and the woman are those who complete one another. Without one another, they are not complete. Together, they become something greater than the sum of the two parts. That was God's original design for marriage. With the man as the leader, the head, the woman as the helper, and with their unique qualities of masculinity and femininity serving as complements, completing and making this marvelous partnership. That's Genesis 2. Then comes Genesis chapter 3. Sin comes into the world. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, they fall, and everything blows apart. And this, including marriage, this marvelous, wonderful relationship gets messed up. Adam, you remember, throws Eve under the bus right away. First thing he does. Well, it wasn't me, it's that woman. (laughs) The beautiful, harmonious, loving, complementary relationship comes unglued. And I think the reason for Ephesians chapter 5 and these two commands is found right there in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 16, God is speaking to to Eve. He is laying out the consequences of what is going to happen because of sin. And God speaking to Eve there in Genesis 3.18 says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Sadly, some folks over the years have used this verse to justify treating their wives like subjects. To push their wives down, saying this is what the Scripture says it should be. Women, you're going to want to get married, and men, your job is to rule over women. Two things will help us unlock this verse and understand this verse. Because if you look at this verse... Like I did for many years, I used to scratch my head trying to figure out, what is it trying to say? Two things will open this up. First, if you read the verse carefully and look at it carefully, you'll notice something. The verse is, as I said, it's right in the middle as God is laying out. Here's the consequences of sin that are going to show up in the world and in life. In other words, what this verse is, it's not prescribing what proper behavior should be. It is describing what behavior will be because of sin. There's a vast difference between the two. 
It's not God saying, go out and live this way. He's saying, this is what sin is going to do in your marriage. So whatever this verse means, it's not telling us what it ought to be. It's simply saying what sin is making of man-woman relationship. Secondly, that will help us understand this verse is that little word, desire. Your desire will be for your husband. That word in the, in the Hebrew includes a connotation not just to desire, but a desire to control. You see it over in, in just a, a chapter later where it's saying to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to master you is how most of your translations will read. The net translation, the newest English translation, I think does this, this verse justice and gives it a literal translation. And let's read it again. Here's Genesis 3.16 where it says to the wife, to Eve, you will want to control your husband. That's that desire. Your desire is to control him. But your husband, he will dominate you. See, what it's saying, this is what sin is doing to the the perfect, harmonious, complementary relationship that God designed marriage to be. Sin comes in and blows it up. And the wife is going to desire to control the husband and the husband is going to dominate the wife. And that word rule really is dominate. It's pushed down. You see what that verse describes is the battle of the sexes. It has been with us ever since sin came into the world. See, that's why Paul here in Ephesians chapter 5 when he comes to husbands and wives and he says, wives, just one thing. Husbands, just one thing. Those one commands are the opposite of what's right here in Genesis 3.16. Wife, instead of trying to control your husband, Instead of trying to overrule him, instead of trying to to move him and manipulate him, submit. Amen. Instead of dominating your wife, instead of pushing her around, love her. See, because sin is going to be a tendency for women, I think this Genesis 3.16 is saying it's going to be a tendency for women to try to usurp their husband's leadership, because of sin, men are going to rule over women. There's going to be a tendency for men to be bullies, to take the advantage of their physical strength and dominate physically weaker women. So Paul says just one thing. All these things we looked at last time, really key stuff for all relationships and especially marriage relationships. But when it comes down to the specifics of marriage, for you and me to operate in the realm of what God really intended when the manufacturer created marriage, one thing, women, he says, submit to your husbands. One thing, guys, love your wives. Women, and I get, this is really stinking hard. Wives, you struggle with trusting and allowing your husband 
to lead in your home because your husband is a miserable sinner. I know him. A miserable sinner. He's going to fail miserably sometimes. Sometimes he's going to fail just because he makes bad decisions. Sometimes he's going to lead poorly. Sometimes he's going to be inconsiderate. Sometimes he's going to be domineering. Sometimes he will be most frustrating because he simply won't do anything. And so you're going to be tempted to undermine him, to manipulate him, to go around him, to nag him, fight him, or just ignore him. And God says, no, submit to him. That means to honor him, to encourage him in his role as leader. Help him. I understand that's hard. And husbands, he calls us to something hard. You're going to struggle sometimes to love your wife. Sometimes because she's going to be naggy. Sometimes because she's manipulative or sometimes because she's contentious. Or perhaps because she's not meeting your needs. Or because perhaps you think she doesn't respect or care about you. More often than not, at least in my case, it's just because you're stubborn and pig-headed. Selfish. But God says you to take the initiative. To lead, and the way we lead is to lead out by loving our wife selflessly, wholeheartedly, no matter what. Revolutionary stuff. Our culture will scoff. People will say we're nuts. But the manufacturer says this is how it works. This is where it's good. Let's pray. Father, this is tough stuff. Not a one of us do this right. Not fully. And we can't expect to because we're sinners. That's part of the thing that happened back there in Genesis chapter 3. It got messed up. But the very fact that it's messed up and we're sinners doesn't mean that this still isn't the right way to go, nor that we shouldn't strive for it. It does mean we need help. We need Your help to change. We need Your help to put this into practice because it's not natural to us. It's not natural for us to submit to one another. It's not natural for wives to submit to their husbands and to encourage them as leaders and to follow their lead. And it's not, it's not natural for husbands to love and to put their wives first. Lord, I pray that You would help us to change. Because ultimately, it's for our good. Even more importantly, it's ultimately, Father, this is what brings You glory. As we're changed, and as we'll discover next week, that even in some small ways, when we get it right, when our relationship 
even begins to approach what You have designed it to be, it ultimately becomes a reflection of Your great love. A reflection of You and it brings honor to You. So we ask that You'd work a change in us. There may be some folks here today that they're not married. Maybe marriage is a long way off. Maybe they're young. Father, I pray that You'd use these things to begin to prepare them and shape their understanding of marriage so that even now they would become more like Jesus so that when the time comes, their marriage would reflect Him. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.